This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, throughout the Easter season, the Church has been inviting us to meditate on the magnificent Acts of the Apostles, which, as you know, is the second volume of St. Luke's two-volume treatment of Jesus and the Church. What we call the Gospel of Luke is volume one. What we call the Acts of the Apostles is volume two. That's why that Gospel and the Acts have to be read so tightly together thematically. Well, the book opens with a promise of the Holy Spirit. Listen. While meeting with them, he, the he here is Jesus, enjoined them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father about which you have heard me speak. It's the risen Christ now, speaking to his followers, and he's saying, now look, don't leave the city until this promise from the Father comes. He's speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, described in our gospel for today as the parakletos. That means prosecuting attorney. I'll come back to that, why it has that very interesting name. Jesus now continues. This is the risen Christ speaking. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Pentecost, isn't he? the day when the Spirit descends upon the church. But what is the Spirit? Better, who is the Spirit? He's the love that links together the Father and the Son. It's very important to keep this in mind now and keep it uh, as the context for these readings. He promises that the love between the Father and Son will descend upon them and empower them for their work. Well, what is that work? What is that work? The Acts of the Apostles is the story of how Jesus is gradually becoming king. Let me say that again. The Acts of the Apostles is the story of how Jesus is gradually becoming king, how his power and influence are spreading all over the world. Now, how? How? Precisely through the Acts of his Apostles. And these acts, Luke insists, are a product of the Holy Spirit, the love between the Father and Son, which has descended upon the church and now empowers it for its mission. I hope it's clear from even the most superficial reading of the gospel that the spirit of Jesus and his Father cannot be a spirit of violence and hatred. So the kings of the world from ancient times to the present day run the world through hatred, violence, oppression what Augustine called the libido dominandi, the lust to dominate, all of that. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a spirit of love. 
But listen now, it's a spirit on the march, like an army, eager to engage the powers of the world. And this is why, this is why the spirit's referred to as a parakletos, a prosecuting attorney, someone who will take on the wickedness of the world, the way an attorney might, through the power of word, the power of mind, the power of speech. It's very important, isn't it, everybody? When the Spirit fell on the Apostles of Pentecost, and we're going to celebrate that feast in two weeks, he appeared as, what? Tongues of fire. Tongues. Speech. Mind. Logos. In all the great languages, the European languages, the word for tongue and speech is the same, isn't it? The Holy Spirit falls in the form of vibrant, persuasive, ardent speech. And the Spirit, on that very first day of Pentecost, sent the apostles into the streets of Jerusalem speaking all the languages of the world. This is a foreshadowing of the conquering church, of the church on the march, fighting not with the weapons of the world, but fighting with the more powerful weapon of Spirit-filled speech. Now, with that in mind, reread the Acts of the Apostles. It's the story of how this victorious church goes about its work. We hear, for example, that the warriors met first with a rather remarkable early success, drawing 3,000 converts on that first day. But soon enough, like all soldiers, they met with opposition. In their case, on the part of the first religious and then political establishment. The apostles, these fiery warriors filled with the Holy Spirit, were brought before the Sanhedrin, warned not to speak of the name, and then for good measure they were beaten. Peter was eventually imprisoned. Subsequently, a fierce persecution broke out in Jerusalem. James was beheaded. Stephen was stoned. We know some decades later, Peter and Paul are both martyred. Well, that's the way it goes with warriors, isn't it? The story of an army on the march, the army of the church, filled with the power of the Spirit, but fighting the powers of the world. See, by extension, everybody, it's still our story. That's still the story of the church of Jesus up to the present day. But I'll go back to our first century context. This Holy Spirit works, as we know, in strange and mysterious ways. Precisely because of that terrible persecution, so the death of Stephen, the beheading of James, etc., because of that terrible persecution, many of the disciples, think of those first 3,000. I mean, what happened to them? Well, they're still there. And they were forced to leave Jerusalem. But see, precisely by being forced to leave Jerusalem, they were able to spread the seed of the faith in the towns to which they came. And here's the context for our first reading from this sixth Sunday of Easter. Prompted by the persecution, Philip sets out. Now, we know about Philip 
from an earlier section of Acts when they named the Greek-speaking deacons who were chosen. Remember, because it became too difficult for the apostles. They couldn't do their work of preaching, so they chose seven good men, one of whom was Philip. Well, this Philip now makes his way to Samaria and there proclaims the Lord Jesus. The crowds we hear listened to him with great attention and came over to the faith. Mind you, it was not only the power of his words, though it certainly was that. He's a preacher, first and foremost. But it was also the power of his deeds. For Philip proved to be an extraordinary healer and exorcist. Now, it might be easy for us to dismiss this talk as superstitious, as this old-fashioned hangover from an earlier age. But you know, it's amazing how often in the history of evangelism this sort of thing is found. Paul talks about it, doesn't he? Paul certainly preached, God knows. But Paul also talks about demonstrations of power in the Spirit. What was happening when Paul came into a town? Preaching, to be sure. Something more, something more got the attention of these crowds. And again, you see it in the New Testament. You see it in the early church. You see it in stories of the great missionaries and evangelists over the centuries. Many of the stories of the evangelists who brought the faith to Europe deal with the miraculous. It's as though the Spirit goes out of his way to manifest his power through these first preachers to a given people, these first evangelizers. So something like that probably happened with Philip, preaching and miraculous deeds. It's important to note now as well that Luke would have seen this as essential to his story of a conquest. For the enemies of God are the dark spirits as well as suffering and death. So what's Philip doing? He's healing taking care of of suffering, holding off the power of death, but he's also expelling dark spirits. Well, see, we're at war. Paul says that. The battle is not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities. So Philip the evangelist here is taking on the dark spirits. The disciples are, I hope this is clear, carrying on the work inaugurated by Jesus, and they are thereby making Jesus sovereign. These are the acts of the apostles, which mimic the acts of Jesus, and thereby make him king. Then we hear, as the story goes on, that Peter and John, two of the pillar disciples who had stayed in Jerusalem despite the danger, upon discovering what Philip was accomplishing, went themselves to Samaria. In order what? Now listen. To facilitate the descent of the Holy Spirit, on these new converts. If I can press this a little bit, it's a bit anachronistic, but not unlike the arrival of a bishop today in a Catholic parish who presides over the descent of the Spirit at confirmation on those who've been baptized. So Philip has preached, he's baptized, but now the big guns, Peter and John, these two great apostles, are called in to facilitate, to preside over the descent of the Holy Spirit. The theology of the church is very intriguing on this point. 
we hold as Catholics that the gifts of the Spirit are given at baptism, but they are stirred up. They're brought to life, if you want, at confirmation. The two-step process indicated here in this ancient story is imitated to the present day in the church, where we baptize and then some years later confirm. Now, what are these gifts of the Spirit? They can be relatively spectacular. Tongues, present to the present day. You can find it in certain Christian churches, including Catholic ones. Healing, I talked about that. There are healers in, in the work of the church. Prophecy, words of knowledge. These things are real. But the gifts of the Spirit can also be relatively ordinary. Administration, Paul identifies as a gift of the Spirit. Kindness, generosity, being a catechist, a teacher, being a person who exhorts others. All these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. But here's what matters, everybody. They all exist for the sake of equipping the army. The Spirit fell on the apostles, and then through them, it fell on the wider church. But his purpose is always the same, to extend the reign and authority of Jesus, to make him increasingly king. Vatican II, by the way, had a name for this process, the universal call to holiness. Everybody in the church has received a portion of the Spirit, and therefore everyone's called to fight. Don't worry, don't worry. We have the Lord's own guarantee that the gates of hell will not prevail against this spirit-led army. It's our mission today. It was the mission of Philip long ago. It's the mission of the church up and down the ages, declaring the kingship of Jesus and extending his sovereign reign. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.